Hello again, everyone. Welcome to your weekly member-only content here with the USCCA. This is a special benefit that we provide to our USCCA members. Today's topic, and we're changing up the profile just a little bit, we'll be talking again with Tom Grieve, noted criminal defense attorney, but we're going to break it down into five-minute segments. So, Tom, are you ready to jump in and answer the following question in just five minutes? We're going to find out. <laughs> All right. We'll take a good crack at it. Um, what we want to talk about is we're going to go through a series of these topics over the next several weeks. Um, I want people to follow through everything that happens when we're involved in a defensive gun use or, or, or an action that could be described as self-defense. So um, let's take a look at the first question. What elements must be present for you to use deadly force to protect yourself or another person? Andy, I got five minutes. You're on the clock. Sounds good. So in general, what we're looking at is you have to be facing some sort of deadly threat, okay? Now, the exact science to this is going to vary from state to state. As a quick example, Wisconsin is going to be if you're facing reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm. Some of those words will vary depending upon where you are in the country. Rather subjective, I would imagine, too. Somewhat subjective. <laughs> a lot of it's going to be in the eye of the beholder. But it's going to be important that you're going to be facing some sort of deadly threat. So somebody has to be making a threat. They have to have looks like a way of to deliver upon or to actuate that threat. Mm -hmm. So obviously if they're behind, you know, 10 layers of chain link fence uh, and they're shackled in handcuffs and they make a deadly threat, you can't necessarily do something about that. You can't respond that. with deadly force if they have no means of making good on their threat. Correct. So we kind of have to see that recipe come together. And again, the nuances of that recipe will vary by jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So check your local listings. Mm -hmm. All right. We also have to decide upon and we have to define what it means to be employing deadly force. So if we're employing deadly force, and again, check your local listings to mm -hmm. see exactly what that definition must be. But it goes something like this. If you're employing force, such as using a knife, a firearm, something like that, could be any number of different things. But if that force, if it's foreseeable that it could produce death, or oftentimes as well, states will define it as great bodily harm, then we're talking about you are now using deadly force. Great bodily harm is we're talking about any loss of limb, or including protracted loss of limb. Okay, mm -hmm. And you can get into some fuzzy areas on that. If somebody loses their ability to see or hear for a while, does that trigger it? So you have to be careful. So just understand, folks, that there's some, there's some nebulous definitions that are out there. Okay, But bringing this back home. So if you're facing a deadly threat, then you can use deadly force. So now we've defined what our deadly threat is. Right? Somebody's made a threat. It looks like they can deliver upon it. you got to act. Okay. And again, you have to be able to act now. That's that imminent part that we talked about for Wisconsin. Yeah, that's one of the big words that people don't often take into account is imminent, that this is happening right now. It's not, right. I'm going to get you later. It's happening right now. It's happening right now. So that's going to be a very important aspect. And now we've also defined what the deadly force is that we're going to be able to use. Okay. And we, again, we can only use that deadly force subject to local laws if we have that imminent deadly threat. All right. So we also, of course, have all sorts of laws like stand your ground. We have the duty to retreat. Okay. So let's just touch on those briefly. If you have a duty to retreat, if you're in a jurisdiction that has that, that means that even if we have met that first aspect of I'm facing that imminent deadly threat, right? Before I can use that deadly force in self-defense, I have to exhaust all of my retreat options. Okay. So there has mm -hmm. to be no other option left but 
being able to do that. Now that contrasts with your ability to stand your ground, which means that I don't have to exhaust my duty to retreat options. If you have a stand your ground on a public sidewalk law, something like that, yeah. then I can just immediately move, if I have the triggering criteria of that immediate deadly threat or that imminent deadly threat, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. I can immediately move to deadly force in self-defense. And the stand your ground law is typically uh, saying that if you are in a place where you are legally allowed to be, where you have the right to be, you don't have to run away from that place. Is right. That, is, that, is that in a nutshell? And if you're not breaking the law, so mm-hmm. you know if you're out dealing drugs or something like that, right? And you see this as well in Castle Doctrine Laws. If you're not breaking the law, okay, so in other words, you're not dealing drugs out of your house and some drug dealer's coming over to rob you, right? Yeah. Um, but if you're in your home or if you're any place that's covered by Castle Doctrine, which again will vary from state to state, maybe it's your business, maybe it's your automobile, maybe it includes the attached garage, maybe it does not include the attached garage or detached garage, whatever the case may be. Lots of variables here, okay? But the gist of Castle Doctrine is that if somebody has broken into or is in the process of breaking into your home or whatever one of these places are, and you are currently in, because it's not stuff protection, it's people protection. Yeah, it has to be occupied. You have to be there. Right. Then you don't even necessarily have to meet the elements of proving there was a deadly threat. Mm -hmm. Something goes bump in the night, you come down to the kitchen at 2 a.m., I don't have to see the guy with a knife trying to plunge it into my chest to act. I can take the immediate action. It's imputed to them that it's a deadly threat. Mm -hmm. That suggests the castle doctrine. Lastly, you also have the ability of third-person defense, so defending someone else. And that's where we have to know that that person is facing the reasonable fear of imminent death or great bodily harm. And then, and only then, may I be able to interact on them. But keep in mind, maybe that was the attacker, maybe there was some sort of retreat scenario. And if you do retreat, (laughs) if the bad guy attacks and retreats, they lose, you may lose your ability to go ahead and use that self-defense. If somebody tries to escape, let them go. Yeah. If you're going to be defending somebody else, you better know exactly what's going on in that situation. Right. So look at that coming down to one second. Wow. Very good. So let's recap quickly. Um, We've used up our five minutes, but but that's okay. We want to make sure that um, the the criteria for use of deadly force got to be facing an imminent deadly threat. You can only use deadly force and, again, check your local listings if you have exhausted all other areas, if, if you're not protected by a stand-your-ground law or a Castle Doctrine law or something like that. Anything that we're missing that people need to know. If somebody is trying to escape, if the bad guy attacks you and now they try to escape, let them go. So the imminent danger can suddenly become not an imminent danger, and as soon as the danger is gone, you better not be using deadly force. That's how self-defense can turn into homicide very easily, and I'm not trying to editorialize that. I'm just observing that this is what it is. Well, outstanding. Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate this. A quick five-minute segment. We're really helping some people learn just a little bit. And again, folks, this is not legal advice. This is starting you down this path to understanding your rights and responsibilities as a responsibly armed citizen. Like Tom says, check your local listings. Understand your laws before you do anything. I'm Kevin Michalowski, editor of Concealed Carry Magazine. This has been your weekly member-only content.